0: Hello and welcome to SSI Live. You've long known the Strategic Studies Institute, or SSI, at the U.S. Army War College as the go-to location for issues related to national security and military strategy with an emphasis on geostrategic analysis. SSI conducts strategic research and analysis to support the U.S. Army War College curricula, assist and inform Army, DoD, and U.S. government leadership, and serve as a bridge to the wider strategic community. Now we're bringing you access. SSI analyses, scholars, and guests through this, the SSI Live podcast series. Thanks for joining us. Hello and welcome to this edition of SSI Live. My name is John Denny, and I'm a research professor of National Security Studies here at the Strategic Studies Institute, or SSI, at the U.S. Army War College. It's Wednesday, June 8th, and today we're recording the fourth in a short series of SSI Live podcasts on a recently published multi-author study entitled China, Europe, and the Pandemic Recession, Beijing's Investments, and Transatlantic Security. The COVID-19 pandemic unleashed an immense shock to the global economy. In Europe, gross domestic product fell and unemployment rose. China might take advantage of the crisis and its aftermath, just as it did in the wake of the global financial crisis a decade ago. As part of its broader national security strategy, China might again use its sovereign wealth fund, government-affiliated companies, and nominally private Chinese firms to provide necessary liquidity and investment in Europe. In doing so, Beijing could take advantage of Europe's economic difficulties to obtain sensitive technologies, build soft power and influence, and acquire militarily significant infrastructure. To further examine these topics, SSI assembled an interdisciplinary team of experts from the U.S. Army War College, private think tanks, and academia. The resulting study, just published and available at our website, or ssi.armywarcollege.edu, has revealed several reasons for serious concern about predatory Chinese economic statecraft in Europe today. To mitigate and manage these concerns, the study includes an array of practical policy recommendations for decision-makers on both sides of the Atlantic. To launch the study, we're recording a series of podcasts with each of the study contributors, and today, as I mentioned, is our fourth. I was the lead author for a chapter on evolving European policies toward China over the last several years, and especially how Europeans have managed Chinese investment, and so I wanted to provide an overview of that chapter for you today. As a result of the changes in European attitudes toward China, which we discussed in our last podcast with Eric Bratberg, Countries across the continent, as well as intergovernmental organizations like the EU, have had a variety of regulatory, legal, and policy responses. So let me just highlight some of the more significant ones. First, providing liquidity alternatives. The EU and its member states have arguably made substantial progress in terms of providing a liquidity alternative to China for those European countries confronting rising debt. So, for example, Germany established a 100 billion euro fund to provide liquidity in exchange for equity stakes in companies in danger of imminent takeover. At the collective level, a landmark 2020 EU budget deal will provide 390 billion euros in grants and 360 billion euros in loans for cash-strapped member states. This roughly 750 billion euro recovery fund was a marked shift from the austerity approach adopted in the 2010s in response to the sovereign debt crisis. Due to the depth of the pandemic-induced recession in Southern Europe and the size of their respective economies, Spain and Italy will be the largest beneficiaries of the recovery fund, each receiving about €70 billion. The funds will pay for major infrastructure work, environmental projects, and also to improve high-speed telecom and data storage facilities. Secondly, the EU has sought to fend off foreign subsidies. Now, for many years, it's been illegal for members of the EU itself to provide financial support in the form of subsidies to European companies if that aid undermined fair competition in the European market. However, the same EU rules have not applied to foreign subsidized companies or entities. So in practice, this has meant that Chinese government authorities have been relatively free to subsidize Chinese entities buying up European companies or bidding on public contracts. Now, although the extent of foreign subsidies in Europe is not known, largely thanks to a lack of transparency, subsidies of one form or another are significant and widespread. After studying this issue in depth, the European Commission released a proposed regulation in May 2021 that would give it the power to investigate financial contributions granted by public authorities of a non-EU country that benefits companies engaged in economic activity in the EU. It would also give the Commission the power to find those found at fault, to accept redressive plans proposed by the entities involved, and even to prevent deals from closing or bids from being accepted. Finally, I want to address investment screening tools. Investment screening is a process by which a governing authority examines a prospective investment against a given set of criteria to determine whether that investment should be approved. Today in the in the US, we have an investment system that's arguably the most rigorous uh, in the in the West. The process involves a thorough examination by a group of representatives from nine different government agencies, as well as other government observers, which together as, are known as the Committee on Foreign Investment in the US, better known by its acronym CFIUS. CFIUS investigates when a foreign entity or a U.S. entity with significant foreign ownership looks to acquire or make a significant investment in an American company. A CFIUS filing and review process are required for any foreign investment in certain U.S. businesses that produce, design, test, manufacture, fabricate, or develop one or more critical technologies in 28 specified areas. 18 of the 27 EU member states, plus the UK, have some type of investment screening process or mechanism in place. Now, these include most of the EU's larger economies like Germany, France and Italy, as well as several of the smaller ones. Although the EU has recently expanded its overall investment scrutiny, there's limited coordination bilaterally between the member states or at the EU level even though the EU promotes that as some of its best practices. But even among those 18 countries that follow the best practices, that have investment screening tools in place, there are serious shortcomings. These are most glaring in terms of the investment screening tools uh, at the disposal of member state governments, in terms of the strength and durability of those tools, and given the lack of EU-wide requirements and regulations in this area. These are all shortcomings or gaps that provide Beijing vectors through which to potentially undermine European security. Again, especially in terms of infrastructure that that is relevant to U.S. and allied militaries uh, and through European defense-related tech and and related raw materials. So what have we seen since the early 2010s? What's the history of Chinese investment activity in Europe specifically? If I were to show you a chart Uh, You would see that beginning in about the 2012-2013 timeframe, there was a significant increase in China's investment activity and its foreign direct investment into Europe. Europe was particularly attractive at this time because it was a relatively friendlier investment environment, especially relative to the U.S., And because Europe is comprised of advanced economies useful to Beijing's national strategies, which we discussed in an earlier podcast with Roger Cliff. Additionally, Chinese investors found significantly undervalued assets in Europe as governments there were forced to privatize those assets in the name of shedding debt. So what have we seen more recently? Well, that Chinese investment really peaked in about the 2016 to 2017 time frame. And then we saw a dramatic decrease over the last five years or so. Why was that? Well, the data shows there were really two reasons for this. The first reason why China's outward bound foreign direct investment fell steadily during this last five years or so uh, has to do with, concern on the part of the government in Beijing about exuberant overseas investment that the the Chinese government would eventually be held accountable for or responsible for. And so the government began to place some hurdles for outbound capital flows. Additionally and secondarily, there was also a more complicated regulatory environment abroad. So we began to see in Europe more of these investment screening tools being put into place. Now, this trend continued until... 2021, when we saw Chinese foreign direct investment in Europe rise by 27% over the preceding year. Even though Chinese investment into Europe increased in 2021 relative to 2020, it was still below the level of 2019. In terms of where China invested in 2021, the leading countries were the Netherlands, Germany, France, and the UK. Regarding what China invested in in 2021, Chinese investment in Europe remains focused on acquisitions in strategic technology areas, including integrated circuits, broadband communications, machine tools, robots and AI, biopharmaceuticals, shipbuilding, automobiles, space, and the aviation industry. Now, most of these areas are targets of the Made in China 2025 initiative, which is a state-led industrial initiative that seeks to make China dominant in global high-tech manufacturing. In 2021, consumer products and the automotive sector were the top two sectors. Together, these two accounted for 59% of China's investment in Europe. The next three biggest sectors were health, pharma and biotech, information and communications technology and energy. Now, the nature of Chinese investment in Europe may be changing. In the last three years, an increasing percent of Chinese investment in Europe has been in greenfield projects. That is, projects that are are new, that involve construction, new construction, uh, not the acquisition of existing companies or infrastructure. In 2021, Greenfield Investment reached 3.3 billion euros. This is the highest ever recorded value, making up almost a third of all Chinese foreign direct investment into Europe. And it may reflect the increasing strength of investment screening regimes in Europe regarding mergers and acquisitions of existing companies. Another important trend that we're noticing is the impact of Chinese venture capital investment pouring into European tech startups. Now, most of this venture capital investment in 2021 was concentrated in the UK and Germany and focused in a handful of sectors, including e-commerce, financial tech, gaming, AI, and robotics. But it represents a continuation of a trend away from state-owned enterprises as the primary vehicle of chinese investment in europe and beijing's growing reliance on ostensibly private entities to accomplish the goals of made in china 2025. so to summarize due to shifting perceptions across europe the european investment environment has changed significantly over the last decade thanks to some improvements at the state and intergovernmental levels Tightening investment screening tools, making European liquidity available for European companies, and cracking down on subsidized competitors from outside the EU have all helped strengthen the European stance relative to China's predatory statecraft. However, there remain serious flaws and gaps in the approaches of both the EU and many of its member states, even those with investment screening tools. What's to be done about this? Well, in a later podcast, we're going to examine the set of recommendations for both sides of the transatlantic community that are outlined again in this study that's just been released China, Europe, and the Pandemic Recession, Beijing's Investments, and Transatlantic Security. Again, you can find that study at our website, ssi.armywarcollege.edu. Please join us for future episodes of this series here at SSI Live. In our next episode, we'll examine the role that Chinese investment is playing in terms of militarily relevant infrastructure in Europe. You can now find SSI Live on TuneIn Radio and on popular podcast directories like Stitcher and at the iTunes Store. If you have any comments on our podcasts, thoughts on what you'd like to see addressed, or a response to something you heard here at SSI Live, please go to our website, that's ssi.armywarcollege.edu. Find me, John Denny, in the staff directory, and send me an email. I look forward to hearing from you. For the SSI Live podcast series, I'm John Denny. Thanks for listening.